Haggai. Haggai, do you say Haggai? Haggai, who says Haggai? Who says Haggai? Haggai, Haggai, that's the right way. All right, I've always said Haggai, but I studied it this week. At least the guy in the Bible reading thing, he says Haggai. So we're just going to go with that. Haggai, I'm sure I'll say it like 50 different ways. I don't think God cares how I say it. I think God cares if it impacts me. The word of God from Haggai. So you guys have trouble getting here today? No, not too bad? (laughs) I feel like there's been this spiritual tension all week. I think last week was pretty amazing in our church, and I just think ever since then, I've felt this like spiritual tension in my house, in my life. Um, Satan doesn't want us to be here. Satan doesn't want us to do what we talked about last week. Satan does not want this message to go forth. And so if you had a hard time getting here today, if your heart's not in the right place yet, even after all that prayer, just keep pressing it. Just keep pressing it, okay? Haggai, it means festal one. Probably he was born on a festival or a uh, feast, okay? It's the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Obadiah beats it out, okay? So it's just a short little book. wonder if it can say much. And I'm telling you, this book packs a powerful punch. I mean, I hope you, came, I hope you have your seatbelt today. I hope you came to church ready. Because this, this message is not for the faint at heart. This is not like a tickle my ears. I'd love to hear how good I am message. This is a like, I need to listen. I need to think. And I need to believe that what God's saying is true. That's what this message is. So that's the title of the message. Think, listen, think, believe. This is uh, preached in four months, about 15 weeks. It's post-exile. It's in 520 B.C. You guys writing that down? Or is this like a waste of my time? You guys writing it down? You're writing it down. No? No? You're writing down your shopping list? Okay. She's like, I'm not writing that down. (laughs) During Darius 1, okay, this is not Darius the Mede, but this is Darius 1. It's a little bit later. He starts his reign in 521, gets done 486. Haggai is mentioned in Ezra chapter 5, verse 1, and chapter 6, verse 14. There's no doubt that Haggai spoke for God. And there's no doubt when he spoke for God. It's so clear in the text. There's only doubt today whether or not you will listen, whether or not you will think about it, and whether or not you will believe the message that clearly says 25 plus times, this is sovereign, this is divine, this is from the Lord. That's the only doubt is whether or not we'll get it, we'll hear it, we'll think about it, and we'll believe it. He is motivating God's people to work, to build, by pointing out the drought, the failure, the spiritual apathy caused by misplaced spiritual priorities. Now, for our church, I like to feel good about our church. You guys, 
yeah, we got a good church. For our church, I think this is really hard for me. Because I'm like, dude, this is the best church in town. Don't tell any other church I said that. <laughs> Especially not the pastors. That's like fighting words. Okay? I don't think we're better than anybody else. Is that clear? Tell your neighbor. That wasn't clear. Tell your neighbor. I don't think I'm better than anybody else, and I don't think this church is better than anybody else. Go ahead. Tell them. Tell them both. Tell them both. Okay? But even though I don't believe that we're better, I believe that God is at work among us. All right? I believe that God is using this church, these people, to build his church in a significant way. But, I've got to say, if I'm honest, I can get like kind of high and mighty, and I can get kind of like, look at us. You look at the 10-year vision, and uh, you, just, you just crack it open, and you take a look, and you're just like, look at the trajectory of that. Isn't that awesome? And sometimes you can believe your own hype, you know? Sometimes you can be like, yeah, look at that trajectory. It's awesome. I was brokenhearted this week by the word of Haggai. And I want so badly for you to get it too. And I just got to say, in the text, there's, there's something behind the scenes I don't get. It's not there. You won't see it. I haven't seen it. But there's something there. There's a natural disaster, maybe a hurricane, hailstorm, snowstorm. I don't know, but something's there. I can't preach to you because I can't see it. That gets the attention of the people in such a significant way that they are like 180 when they were in Jerusalem. God's people, awesome, out of exile. It's going well. And they wake up. It's astounding. Let's read it together. Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius, or Darius 1, the king, in the sixth month, if you know the Hebrew calendar, it's Elil, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel. That's a fun name to say. Go ahead. Try it out. Zerubbabel. So fun to say. Zerubbabel is significant because he's from the line of David. So this is God. You're going to see this in the next uh, few times I preach. This is God, like this is the governor, but this is like the king, right? This is the line of David through Christ, right? If you look in uh, genealogy of Mary and genealogy of uh, Joseph, they both have Zerubbabel in that line. Christ is going to come through Zerubbabel. He's significant. He's a leader. He's the governor of Judah. And to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, He's a leader. He's significant. Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
These people, you might want to box that, that's really significant too. These people say the time has not yet come to build, rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to, by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the, this house lies in ruins? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. I wrote it in my Bible. You could too. Now, is it time? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. That's a key verse. I'm going to explain it to you in a few minutes. That I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above have withheld dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. No doubt who's in control right now, huh? Who's God of heaven and God of earth and controls it all. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors. Then, you got to let that sink in first, don't you? Man, that's a tough message. Oh, that kind of hurts. You got to think about it. I'm listening. I want to believe that that's true in our church, even though I think the best of our church. I want to believe that that's true, that we've neglected some things, that there's some spiritual apathy among us, that needs to be addressed today. Otherwise, God wouldn't have led me to this word last summer. God wouldn't have me preach this today. But verse 12 is comforting. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and jo jo uh, his name is Joshua. Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people. That's everybody. Underline this word obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai or Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared this they revered they had reverence for the Lord 
Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. This is like a blanket to a child. I am with you. I am with you. God is here, and he is with us. I am with you, declares the Lord. Let's stop there. We can come back to the rest of it. Do you hear voices? Dude, you're going to end up in the psych ward. No, I mean it. Do you hear voices? What's the voice inside your head that you hear most often? Self, right? Myself, telling myself about myself, what myself should do. And then there are the voices of the world, Satan's demonic world system, all the messages you see on TV, all the billboards you drove by on the way to get here, marketing you, telling you how to think, how to feel, what to say to yourself inside your head, those voices. And then there's the voice of God. The still, quiet, if you'd sit still a second and stop striving and stop trying so hard to think of my next move, I would talk to you, voice. So yes, I hear voices. And you do too. But what voice are you hearing? And what are you doing with those voices? So I'm asking you today to listen to the right voice, to the voice of God, to his word. I'm asking you today to think, to think deeply about God's word, God's message to you, and how to apply it, to obey it in your life. Not in your name. You're not like, oh, that's a great message for the person I'm sitting by, my husband, my wife, my kids. I hope they hear this. No, me. I need to hear this message. And believe that what God says is true. His loving plan for my life is the best plan for my life. Okay? All right, into the points. Here they are. Five simple points about that. Listen, number one, listen. We say it's not time. We say, we so do say this. We say it's not time. We do this. I would love to prove it to you. We say it's not time. Well, um, Verse 1 is uh, kind of a history, uh, uh, get you on the same page, like these are the people involved. It's just like an introduction. Verse 2 says, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. These people, he's very clear with what he says, these people, not my people, 
Not the people I called, but these people. It is a rebuke. It is a clear rebuke in Scripture. He's like, you guys are messed up. I want you to see it. Um, I hope that you'll read some of Ezra, but let's just turn over to Ezra quick. Ezra, so you can see some of the context here. Ezra's a great book. I've preached through it. You can go listen to it online, okay, if you're interested. If you don't want to read it, which would be faster, you could just listen to 50-minute message after 50-minute message. Um, but it would probably teach you some stuff because it was awesome, and uh, I'm grateful for it. Ezra, right after Second Chronicles, right before Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, okay? Ezra, something astounding happens in Ezra in... 538, this is the kind of the timeline, 538 B.C., Cyprus, okay, says, go back and build. They go back in 536, 50,000 Jews go back, a remnant. In 536, they start to build the temple. In 536, they stop building the temple. In 520, that's where we're at. Haggai. In 520, God's like, it's time. I've been waiting 16 years for you to get this. It's time, right? But he comes to it by asking them the question, what time is it? Is it time? And he gets them on the page. And then by 516, they've built the temple. Okay? That's the overview. Here's, here's what it says, Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of Cyprus, the king of Persia, the word of the Lord came by the mouth of Jeremiah that the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up his spirit, the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout the kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, not these people, his people, okay? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, he is the God who is in Jerusalem. And they take up an offering, and he says, everybody give their silver gold and get after this. Then look at the next chapter. Chapter 2. They finally get back, long journey, with all this money and all the things from the, that Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple. Some of the heads of the families, when they came to the house of, verse 68, chapter 2, some of the heads of the families, when they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Well, first of all, they looked at it and they're like, this needs work, right? And what did they do about that? They made a free will offering for the house of God to erect it on its site. And they gave according to their ability. Look at the next chapter, just a little overview. Chapter 3, verse 6. Trying to get you caught up. Chapter 3 of Ezra, verse 6. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings on the altar they had just made. I skipped that part. To the Lord, 
but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. We clear about where we're at? Are we clear? Okay. Money given by the people, by Cyrus the king. No foundation laid yet. Verse 7. So they gave money. Wow to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrants to bring cedars from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa. According to the grant, they had money, they had from Cyrus, the king of Persia. It's going well. We have money from a king. This is like the president of the United States calling us up and saying, we want you to build a building in Rochester, Minnesota, in Rochester, in Minnesota, in Jerusalem, in Ju Judah, right? Like, I mean, it's like he's so clear. And here's money. And the people will get money too. And go get the wood and build the house. That's where we're at. We're clear? Okay, good. Chapter 4 happens. See, there's weeping and there's shouting. I believe Haggai was probably pretty old and had seen the first temple and now was there at this passage in chapter 3 and was probably weeping, one of the older men who were weeping because the glory wasn't restored yet. But there was shouting and joy and weeping. And what happened? <laughs> Their enemies heard it. It was that loud. And they came and they oppressed them. And look at the end of chapter 4, verse 24. Then the work on the house of God, that is in Jerusalem, stopped and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. What happened? What happened? Everything stopped. And look at verse five, or chapter 5, verse 1. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, you should read that too, that's really good, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, among uh, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and that the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. All right, back to Haggai. I've given you the background. Here's the point. We'll find any way to not do what we should do. Is that true or not? If I could sleep in another extra hour and not read the Bible, I'll find a way to do it. If I could figure out how to eat another piece of pizza and not go to the gym, I'll figure out a way to do it. If I could figure out a way not to be faithful to my wife and not to get in trouble, I would do it. That's the depravity of life. Isn't that sad? I'm always the guy that says it's not time. Matter of fact, when God says to me inside, right, tell that person, that neighbor, that coworker about Jesus, I'm like, I don't know if it's time yet, God. I think you need some time. I gotta warm them up a bit. 
Is that true in your life? <laughs> Matter of fact, when God's like, hey, give a little extra this month, I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. It's not time. It's not time. This isn't the right month. Maybe next month will be better. When God tells me to use my gifts and abilities that he created uniquely in me to build his local church, and he says, do this, I almost always say, God, I don't think it's time, God. It's not time yet for me to do that awesome thing you created me to do in the local church. I think I need to wait a while. Have I proved the point? We are the people, these people, who are often saying to God, it's not time. And most often it's not time because it's me time. It's my time to do my plan. That's what time it is. And so in this passage that has hit me like a ton of bricks this week, I want to admit to you, and I would hope that you admit to yourself, that it's never the right time. It's always going to be, why don't we wait for a better, more favorable time? It's always, don't expect the world and the enemies of God to be like, here, here's a bunch of stuff so you can go do what you're supposed to do. The time is now. Why would they do that? They serve a different master than we do. Don't expect them to do God's work. That's our job. So I want you to admit that we say it's not time. It's just not time. It's not time to build a building. It's not time to get into a building. It's not time to invite my friend to church. It's not time to go serve in children's ministry. It's not time. It's not time to give 10%. It's not time. It's not time yet. Someday it'll be time, but not now. It's not time. Point two. Listen now. Listen. God says, what are your priorities? He says, I want you to think about it now. I want you to consider what time it is. I want you to press in and use the brain I gave you, and I want you to get your eyes off of the circumstances and get your eyes back on me. God says lovingly but firmly, what time is it then? You tell me what time it is. How do you see it? Verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell? I think that's a great play on words, to dwell. God wants to dwell among us. What do we want to do? We want to dwell. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? Well, this house lies in ruins. Paneled is the key word. So 
paneled houses are king's houses. They're houses with roofs in the day, made with good wood, fine wood. I wonder where they got that wood. Hmm, let me think. They had sent the king's money to the Sidonians and tyrants. And they had said, bring it down. Bring it down to Joppa. We'll hump it down here to Jerusalem. Let's go. That was 16 years ago. You think the order didn't get filled yet? Think again. The order's been filled. But it got too hot in the kitchen. And instead of just letting the wood sit there, you know... We could use that wood. We could put that wood to good use. Nobody's saying I can't build my house. They're just saying I can't build God a house. So why don't I build my own house? And they took the wood from the temple and they built their own house. Let that set in. Are you listening? What are your priorities, God says? It's like you live in these paneled houses. It's a comparison between your house and God's house. God wants you to go home this week, and he wants you to take it, and he wants you to look at it. Here's God's house, the church. Here's your house, the Diedrich family. Add it up. Where's your priority? What are you building? Where does your time go? Where does your talent go? Where does your treasure go? You should write those three words down. Because you're going to want to interact with those this week. Where does your time go? Where does your talent go? Where does your treasure go? Those are the things I'm asking you to consider this week. Is it time? That's the series. Verse 3, the word of the Lord came. I want you, before you get like kind of sideways, because God's kind of like giving us a little spank in here. Like before you get too sideways, I want you to look at verse 3. Look at, look at verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came. Now, back up. These people, right? They're not my people, right? These people. Okay, so let's just talk about that. How do the Lord's people act? How do the Lord's people act? Well, here's the world's view. I'll put it on the screen. The world's view is this. Good people go to church. That's where they, you're, you're all doing it. Woohoo! By the world's standards, you are God's people. Good people give to good things. They give to good things. Gave to the hurricane relief. I gave to the flooding in Texas. I give to Samaritan's Purse. We're going to do the Operation Shoebox. I give to good things. And I'm proud of it. I am. And then the world's view is we guard our reputation. Oh, you can't say that. Not about us. Oh, you can't do that. No, 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 no. That gets into the next one. They get in fights. I think the world thinks that Christians want to fight. They want to fight about homosexuality. They want to fight about abortion. They want to fight about politics. 
Christians want to fight. They want to stand up for their rights. I think that's what the world thinks of us. And this last one, they grade your life. They grade your life. They judge you. Christians judge you. They add you up. I'm better than you, Ryan. I must be. I'm the pastor. What do you do? That sounded bad, didn't it? But it's the same thing you're thinking. I'm better than the 80 to 90,000 people that aren't in church today. What are they doing? Sleeping in, watching the Vikings. I'm better. We grade people's lives and we grade ourselves. That's what the world thinks of us. Okay, we're clear? Okay, what does God think of us? God. What's God's view of how the people of God, the people of the Lord should act? Here it is. They go in love. I don't go to church. I just go in love. Sometimes I'm at church. Sometimes I'm at home. Sometimes I'm at school. Sometimes I'm at work. But I'm always going in love. To love, with the love of Christ, on the tip of my tongue, God loves you. Second, they give their all. They give their very life. They're not just given to good things. They're like, it's all yours anyway, God. You gave me this time. You gave me the talents. You gave me the treasure. Where do you want it? I'll do whatever you want with it. It's all yours. They guard the truth. And I say guard loosely. I was trying to get a G. Do we really need to defend the truth? The truth is the truth, right? Truth and time go hand in hand. Maybe you've heard that. It's the truth, whether you want to admit it or not, world. God made us, male and female, right? So do I really have to defend that? Well, there are avenues where I need to speak lovingly the truth, grace-filled, okay? But I don't have to guard anything. Like, I don't have to defend myself. All I need to do is stand on Christ for the name of Christ, for the truth, right? (laughs) Then they glorify God and they're grace-filled. Enough of the fighting and the judging. Let's just glorify God with our life. And let's just be grace-filled towards everybody. Even if we are telling the truth, we can do it with grace and love. I think that's what God expects his people to be. So you're going to notice in the passage, it's going to go from these people to my people. And I think that's the key transition. And I hope that these words will help you kind of look at yourself and go, how should I be different? It's a good thing. Verse 3, I want you to notice this because it's not easy to hear this. Then the word of the Lord came. God wasn't like, these people, write them off, never talk to them. God was like, here's my word. It's coming to you for you because I love you. I got to say this to you because I want you to be My people, not these people. So God, in a loving but firm way, 
says, what are your priorities? What's most important to you? Is it time? Yeah, I think it's time. I think it's time to look at my spiritual priorities. What's most important to me? What's the biggest, baddest, most important relationship in your life? What would you say? Well, I know the Sunday school answer is Jesus. But think. Well, maybe you just ask it this way. How do you spend your time? What does your checkbook say? Right? How do you spend your treasure? What does your schedule say? How do you spend your time? How do you steward and multiply your talents? If you can get to the heart of it, where do you spend your free time? What's your hobby? What's your side job? Everybody has a side job, right? The thing they do after work? That's my side job. Mine's being a dad to five kids. That's where my talents go. What organization are you building when you're not working? Maybe that's a good way to say it. I believe God's calling every single person that's hearing my voice right now to have their hobby be, their side job be, the organization they are on this earth to build be the church. You go, of course you got to say that you're the pastor. I would say that if I wasn't the pastor. I need you to understand that. But I know I can't get that to you. So I'm going to trust God will get that to you. I'm not just saying these things. I'm not just preaching this because I want to or it's my job. I'm saying this to you because this is what God led us to be in today. And I know it's what God wants for our church right now. This is the right message for this time. I want you to write this down. How do you spend your money? How do you spend your time? How do you spend your talents? How do you spend your treasure? I've said it wrong. How do you spend your time? I want you to check your checkbook. I keep saying checkbook because it's spend. You don't, do you spend time? How do you use your time? Let's just change the words because I'm all messed up. Satan does not want you to get this. Everybody right here. How do you spend your time? How do you use your time? You're like, well, I think, no, I don't want you to think about it. I want you to go home, I want you to get your calendar out and your schedule out, and I want you to say to yourself, this is how I spend my time. Let your actions represent your attitudes. Does that make sense? How do I steward or multiply my talents? Check your side job. When you get home, what do you do? What organization, I mean, there's a lot of good organizations out there. I mean, some that our church supports, right? 
But if we spend our time there, if that's our second job and we leave the church behind, where are our spiritual priorities? First in the church, then outside the church. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. That makes sense to me. That makes spiritual common sense. That we would first go after the bride of Christ and then whatever else we want to do or God leads us to do. This last one, write it down. How do you use God's resources, treasure? How do you use God's treasure, the treasure God has given? You check your checkbook, you check your bank statement. My wife and I have been on this over the last couple, we've been overspent like the last kind of several weeks. It's like, what just happened, right? Weeks, did I say weeks? It's more like months. And we just had a come to Jesus meeting. You, you ever had that come to Jesus meeting? Like, we can't keep doing this. This is not good. You got to look at your checkbook. And you got to look at your bank statement. Time, talents, treasure, okay? Now, number three, think. Consider your ways. Let me read it. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You are clothed, but no one's warm. And you earn wages so that you can put them in a Bag with holes. I should have wore the jeans that had holes in them. That would have been a good illustration. Right? Like It's just like money's dropping out. Five things. Right? Work. Right? Work. Food. Drink. Clothes. Money. Those are all budget categories at my house. Pretty much what you make, what you spend, food, clothing, a lot of it goes there. <laughs> What's he getting at? It's like think about the path of your life. Consider your ways. And then verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He says it again. Verse 8, go up, write it down, go up to the hills. Where do you think their houses were? Where do you build your house? In the valley or on the hill? Yeah, you build it on the hill. Go up to your house. Bring down or bring back, I'll say that, write it down, bring back. Bring back God's resources and materials, God's stuff. Bring back God's stuff. And build. Build. Build a house. The house, my house, the church, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified in it. You're like, you keep saying the church. It doesn't ever say that. I know I'm trying to apply it to our life. 
because we live in a different, like, century. There it was build the house of God. Now we've been to all the meeting places, right? Now it's what? Build the church of God. Good thing we did that other series first, so we know that. Thank you, Lord. Then he comes at it again. Thus says the Lord, You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because my house lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld the produce, and I have called for a drought in this land, and the hills, and the grain, and the wine, and the oil, and all the things. All your labor is futile. Like, man, this is just such an encouraging message. But you're also thinking this. But what about our church? What about the trajectory? I was talking to some guys on the staff, and I was like, how many people got saved last year? Take a guess. What do you think? 40, 50, okay? That was the number I heard back. I don't know, it's in the 50 uh, range. And everybody's like, yeah, woo! You know what my gut reaction was? Gut reaction. Because I was reading this passage, I wasn't like, woo! I was like, 50? That's it? That feels like a drought to me. There's 500 people in our church. 50 people accepted Christ last year? That doesn't seem like a spiritual high to me. That seems like a drought. Think. The world has us thinking wrong. The world says 50 is great. The churches around us say 50 is awesome. Our baker says there's no other church like you. We'd love to lend you money. And I read this passage and I cry. It should have been 500 people. And I should have led every one of them to Christ. God wants to do so much more in our church. So much more through every one of us. He just does. If you think about it, he just does. And so the second point is think, consider your ways. Our actions rightly evaluated will reveal our wrong attitudes. Their self-centeredness and ours too had not produced an economic stability while they dedicated their, themselves to their own affairs, these people were neglecting their spiritual responsibilities. They were physically busy, but they were not spiritually productive and healthy. And I just got to say to you, I hurt. I hurt for the kingdom of God when I read that. Physically, we're busy, man. We're doing stuff. You got a calendar, you got this, you got that. Like, we are on it. But where are we at spiritually? I, I want to do so much more. And I don't know if do is the right word. I want to be so much more of who God wants me to be. 
How about us, right? I'm asking you this week and the next week. I'm not preaching next week. You're like, thank you. <laughs> Sheesh. I need a break from you. I'm asking you to take 14 days. 14 days. And I'm asking you to consider your ways. And I'm asking you to come back ready to hear the rest of Haggai and to be called to do whatever God calls us to do. I don't even know what it is. You got it? You consider your ways. You consider your time. You consider your talents. You consider your treasure. Figure out where your heart is. Don't go to the easy like, well, look at that. No, get to your heart. Do the heart work. And let's come back and let's build the church. Number four, believe. You got to get to this. Believe it's always time. Believe it's always time. When is it time? It's time to tell your friend about Jesus today. It's time to be as generous as you possibly can be. Today. It's time. It's time. The time is now. It's time. And the people, the remnant, obeyed the voice of the Lord of God, their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, and the Lord their God sent to him, and the people feared the Lord. Just consider that. They were like, hey, we got to obey. We've got to fear. Makes me think of our theme verse for the year. Seek him, right? Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. We need to believe we need to obey. We need to fear. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God, we've been trying to do that as a church, right? I'm trying to draw near to God. Get into his presence. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Not our own interests, not what we want, but seek him. So we got to check what's most important, our time, our talents, our treasure. I'm giving you 14 days to ask yourself, is it time? Come back with an answer to the, the question, is it time? Apply common sense, spiritual common sense to it. Really dig down into your life. But I've got to say, I believe it's always time. It's always time. With God, nothing is impossible. Number five, believe. I am with you. Maybe the most comforting words in the whole message. <laughs> Let me say them again. I am with you. I need to say that personally before I say it corporately. I'm with you. I'm on your side, Ryan. I want it to be awesome at your house. And I think the best way for it to be awesome at your house is if you think it's good to be awesome at God's house. I really believe that. I believe that about my house too. I believe when I get my eyes on the Diedrich household, which is godly, to have my eyes on the Diedrich household, then, then what happens at church, right? But if I keep my eyes on the church, I am the senior pastor of my own family first. I want you to know that. And so are you, Mike. You're the senior pastor of your own household. 
Get your eyes on the bride of Christ. Get your bride's eyes on the bride of Christ. And then everything will be right at home. That is the answer. So I'm with you. I'm for you. I want this for you. I'm not negative Nancy about you at all. Like the message seems like that. I'm not, like, this is just God's words, man. If it was Steve's words, I'd be like, you're awesome. You're doing great stuff. This is sweet. I've never seen a better version of you because I believe that to be true. And then God comes and he says, hey, take a look. Dig in. How's your heart? And so I'm just going to believe that God's with us as he says to us, I want more. I want more of you. I want more of your heart. I want every part, by the way. That's the message of Haggai. And I can't wait to get to the next two. Because I want to give God all of my heart. I just don't know how to do it. Take some time. Consider your ways. Come back. Be ready. Is it time? You got to answer that question because I can't. I can't answer that for you. I can only answer it for me. Let's pray. God, it's like I said at the beginning. I don't know how to get this to your people. I'm sure I've done a poor job in my self but I pray that you all have translated every word to what needed to be said, to what needed to be heard. I pray that people will listen and that people will think and that people will believe that you are God and you are for them. And I pray, God, that you will strengthen us to do your work. 